If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This next guest is someone on my self-care team. We've been collaborating together for the past year, and she has become one of my trusted network people. Stacy Deegan is an acupuncturist with an amazing background. Her previous degree in recreational therapy led her to Aspen, Colorado, where she spent 10 years working with an organization called Challenge Aspen, helping children with disabilities discover possibilities. She made a return to Minneapolis after that for a few years to further her therapy education at Northwestern Health Sciences University, where she received a master's in acupuncture and oriental medicine. From there, she was headed west again, this time to Portland, Oregon, where she furthered her training and began to develop her private practice as an acupuncturist. She's back in Minneapolis for the past four years and has developed a very loyal following through her practice and women's health and adventure retreats. She's also currently pursuing a health leadership master's program. She's my first acupuncturist guest on the show, so if you have little or no experience with acupuncture as a healing art, you'll get a lot of information from this conversation. If you're a skeptic, I hope this opens up your view to another type of resource for improving your health and sense of well-being. Stacy starts right in here with her story and how she was led to her work. Here's my conversation with Stacy Deegan. I have a great story on how I became an acupuncturist. So when when was this? So I started, I moved out to Colorado in 1995 after I graduated, got my undergraduate degree at the University of Minnesota in park recreation and leisure studies with an emphasis in recreational therapy. So my goal was to move to a beautiful place that had recreation where I could really start to foster my desires to help other people. And so I found this nonprofit program called Challenge Aspen, Mm. and they were just starting. And I met the executive director, and I said, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. And there were no jobs at the time, and so I got a job at a ski shop, which was great, and skied. Perfect 90s job. Exactly. And as the program gained momentum and speed and everything, they I started teaching adaptive skiing for the Aspen Skiing Company. So I was working with people. The mission for Challenge Aspen is making possibilities for people with disabilities. Mm. So again, my desire for always kind of being um, working with underserved populations of people yeah. is kind of where my direction has always been. So this was a perfect fit, my sense of adventure and adventure therapy and working with people with disabilities. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was a great experience and I was really in it from the beginning. So as the program grew and opened, it just fostered this amazing opportunity for me to integrate my background working with people with disabilities, my 
love for the nature and adventure and knowing that nature and adventure and adrenaline is such a big form of therapy. And it's a form of medicine as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I've just over the years of working in outdoor environments with people on a healing level, I've seen it over and over and over again, what can happen and what is possible. So I was just hook, line and sinker in. And as we grew, I grew into different roles, volunteer coordinator, all the way up into, you know, directing the programs and and creating and designing things. And then as we kind of move through um, the years, worked a lot with people with spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries, and then also some of more of the cognitive disabilities, autism, you know, different types of on the spectrum. That's an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And so as that began, we, we really were the first program to start offering adaptive recreation options for veterans returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So we we really started focusing on that. And um, I was actually on the Grand Canyon doing a whitewater rafting trip with a variety of different people with disabilities. And it started to occur to me when I hear these stories over and over and over again, the care that the Western medical system was giving these individuals when they were newly injured or diagnosed with a terminal illness or something happened, a car accident that left them with a permanent disability, that the care is unbelievable. And no denying that we are fortunate people to have what we have when it comes to trauma, surgery, things like that. Um, But what I really realized is that there was so much lacking. There's a lot of over-medication use, a lot of addiction to painkillers, which we know is a huge problem. And wasn't probably even as as big then. It was was kind of just the start of when that was starting to become a – a bigger, you know, they, the the kinds of medicine that was available for for pain and and you know, sort of chronic syndromes at that point wasn't wasn't anything near as powerful as what we have, that we're dealing with today. I agree with you. I really do. Yeah. And so, in comparison, it was probably much less of yeah. a problem, yeah. but still very obvious to me. And really, what I realized was is just so much chronic depression yeah. and that lack of vitality to really know what was next for them. And it's kind of when I remember the conversation starting too with with PTSD. I don't think I'd heard the term until the vets came back from Iraq. That yeah. first, uh, sorry, from the first uh, Gulf War, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, and it, it started coming up. I, I just started hearing it in in my practice, maybe in the late '90s, a little bit, where I'd start or I started treating some people with with you know depression issues and and post traumatic stress stuff, and yet it, it existed. You know, this, that stuff had been around. My, my my grandfather used to, like, every 4th of July, it was, like, trauma because he was in World War II. Right. And I remember every once in a while, like, he, he was sort of prepared for it. I mean, he bought me fireworks, of, of all things. Well, that's lovely of him. But, yeah. but, but you know, to you know, when, it, when it was a surprise, when, when he wasn't expecting it, you know, somebody else shooting off fireworks nearby, yeah. he would duck and cover. Well, isn't it ironic? You know, that's one of the things when I started working with veterans that I was so – taken aback by. Fourth of July is the perfect example yeah. where we've kind of, we don't represent some of the people that have, I mean, they served our country yeah. and we came back and we honored them with these big parades and shooting off fireworks that terrify each and every one of them. <laughs> yeah. And one of my goals, it's so funny you say <laughs> that, was always like, I want this big warehouse on the fourth of July where it's soundproof and I can like put on spa music and do acupuncture on them and let them just be away from all Dance of it. Dance party yeah, or something. Yeah, something fun, you know? So it's, yeah, so definitely agreed yeah. for yeah. sure. That's a very good point. 
So how long did you do that for? So I was in Aspen from 95 until 2006, and I... It's a long stretch. So I know because we have learned that we grew up in the, within a mile of each other. Yeah, probably. same age. Same age, mm-hmm. same same uh, school district. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, was this your first out-of-state living experience, or had you been other places at that point? I hadn't lived anywhere else, but my family was really good. We traveled a lot. We yeah. did a lot of family trips, and we went out west every year pretty yeah. much to go skiing, and so it was just you so that was embedded. Your draw? Oh, yeah. 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 I, was, I was like, as soon as I can get out of here and go feel what that's all about, yeah. I'm in. So it was, it was a great adventure to head out that way. And then falling into the work that I did with Challenge Aspen was just amazing, and it really did propel me to where yeah. I am today. Yeah. And just so much experience dealing with people with health complications Mm -hmm. before you had any sense that you were going to get into this as a a career. Yeah. And then I became inspired on my own when that realization came across that people really need help on a deeper, more spiritual level. And and mind-body medicine, again, in the 90s was really something people didn't totally understand. It it made a lot of sense, but they didn't understand it. So when I started realizing that there were gaps in the connection and the care that the people I really cared for were getting, it inspired me. And then I just became a patient myself. I was was an athlete and I was trying to run marathons and I had really bad knee pain. And I, the story is actually really funny how I became an acupuncturist. So I had tried everything, cortisone shots, for my knees, um, physical therapy, you name it, you know, just kind of done what I could do to take care of myself. And I just literally experienced acupuncture myself for the first time for conditions I was dealing with. I had had horrible, horrible pains, just really bad anxiety for a lot of my life as well. So I was dealing with anxiety Mm. issues, really chronic allergies, and then a lot of body pain. And that consistent body pain just only elevated my, excuse me, levels of anxiety. So I really did, um, my first experience was with somebody who spoke very little English. Again, this was in the 90s, and it was uh, a big deal. Very little English and didn't understand what was going on at all. He basically got the first acupuncture treatment that I had, could not believe how my body felt. And not that my knee pain was gone because it wasn't a quick fix, but over the period of time of just starting to experience acupuncture and what Chinese medicine did for me, I knew that's what I needed to do. What did you feel in that first experience? Can you, can you describe it? Yeah, it was the first thing. And, you know, I'll just be totally honest, being a person who suffered chronic anxiety my whole life. I mean, literally since the day I can remember, it's been something I've held with me and I feel like I've moved on with my life and I've done pretty well keeping it so my life is full still and things like that. Yeah. But I tried different anti-anxiety medications yeah. and therapy and all those kinds of things. And I just walked away feeling different. I felt like this knot in my stomach was gone. Uh-huh. I felt like the lights and the colors around me seemed clear. And I just felt like I was really – had touched into something in my body that had never existed before. Yeah. And it just continued. And not that I always expected that I was going to get that that first feeling that I had because, again, that was such a new experience. Yeah. But I knew deep down that this was something really powerful and there's nothing else like it. Yeah. You think that was your – maybe your initial draw to nature was sort of the, the, the calm that you get from being in places like that? Absolutely. And I, mean, I agree with that. They're very, they're very similar feelings for me yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
maybe the Grateful Dead concerts? <laughs> well, those weren't as peaceful, and they were outside um, and a ton of fun, as you know. We it's love a peaceful group, though. Yeah, a peaceful group and amazing and yeah. peaceful people. Yeah. So I think yes. Um, I, I do think those those sort of communal ex- experiences sometimes. I mean, I, I think on some level, music for me. I, I I sort of when I was in college, I, I ended up kind of getting connected to a lot of other musicians, and I think the group that came that formed around all the music was more important than the music was eventually. In fact, you know, better relationship-wise and all, all sorts of ways outside of the music. And and for me, that was that was a huge part of music and still is. I, I just had a weekend actually at my college this last weekend, went up uh, like eight or nine families went up and we have this reunion every year and we we at night everybody gets out their guitars there's a can there's a little fire the kids put on a talent show for us amazing <laughs> that great. is so cool and what a cool great. tribe of people yeah 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 so and i and i i think i you know i've sort of suffered from some of the same issues and mm-hmm. i think that but that's it that's a big part of it for me yeah it is it's so important and and i agree you know we all as people search and reach and look for ways and outlets and things that satisfy any of these diseases that we have, not yeah. meaning disease, but just diseases yeah. within ourselves that we have. And, you know, I think sometimes when, um, Jeremy, you asked me what I th- what kind of the word that came to my mind when I think of well-being. Yeah. I think of well-being is really a state of mind yeah. more than anything. And I think that you can be have a disability even, have a spinal cord injury, have chronic anxiety, chronic depression, any of these things, and still be well within that realm, which I think is so important for us as as a society and also that I talk with my patients about all the time is, is that we're all given a certain subset of kind of circumstances and body constitutions that kind of create who we are in our life. And none of it's perfect for anybody. And we're aging through the process. Yeah, we both. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> you know, are. I mean, it's. I mean, that, so that's that. That's it's a constant changing dynamic, and mm-hmm. we kind of for, forget about that. It, it's it is. It's a state of mind. It's about that relationship. You know, mm-hmm. t- to what, whatever it is that's going on in your life. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just as you said, constantly evolving too, and 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 the directions that we're taking are always unfolding based upon our experiences, and so. Yeah. So that so so how long was it from your first acupuncture treatment till when you actually started thinking about you want to do this, you want to help people in this way? It was like 6 years. Hmm. Yeah, so it was a while. I was still uh involved with Challenge Aspen. I was still doing my thing there. And then I think as that kind of started to come to a close for me just as far as what I could really who I was as a person, what yeah. I could contribute, and I, I really did. And then also going through some personal um, pretty big things in my life, some big changes. Yeah. I was dealing with a, the end of a marriage and yeah. starting my life over again, and I, I really felt like that was my open door to follow what I knew really tapped into my body, my mind, my spirit with acupuncture and Chinese medicine was this deeper spiritual path and not spiritual in a weird way, but just a really a deeper connection with who I am and what I was going to do in my life yeah. as it unfolded. The, the higher you, the, the next, higher the next me, level. The next thing, the next sphere, like we were yeah. talking about, you know, where, where am I going to go next? And yeah. so that open door gave me the opportunity to just really dive in um, to what I felt like was the next right thing for me. Yeah. And my motivation being every single person person 
previous to that that I had worked with that was suffering physically, totally. emotionally, yeah. and mentally. So, I mean, they were my inspiration, and they every one of those people continue to be. And when I have hard days that I wonder why I'm doing what I'm doing and trying to own a business and, you know, help people who have tried everything and tried every form of medicine and nothing has worked, I remember the inspiration behind how the mind, body, and spirit can change with the right tools. Yeah. And, and to be able to see it happening outside of um, the, the sort of hard medicine stuff, outside of the, the heavy, you know, pharmaceuticals. And, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, <clears throat> surgery is essential sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of therapy could be essential at certain times, right? But, but there, there are times when something as simple as nature, as, as simple as water, you know, as simple as a, a community support, those, those kinds of things are like I, I can imagine from, from your experience where like huge, mm-hmm. um, you know, come to understanding moments for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll never forget one of our – we – um, had programs in the summers where we would do these week-long programs at Challenge Aspen, and one of them was called um, The Magic of Music and Dance. And so it was for kids with all different disabilities. So it wasn't just one. You know, it wasn't just like kids with visual impairments or kids with autism. We just opened it wide and mm-hmm. just said, whoever wants to sign up for this in common. We had kids coming from all over the country. And this amazing woman um, put on the – we'd put on – it was – the whole goal was to put on a performance at the end of the week. So Peter Pan, Annie, like you name it, we put on these performances. And this is where I know I saw this happen is that no matter what we're faced with in our lives as far as a diagnosis, a disability, a trauma, um, financial hardships, whatever, this is when I know things, people have the ability to rise above whatever they're given. So I would sit there in that week and watch. I'll never forget this. One of the participants that we had that I, no matter how hard I tried, became very close to. And um, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer when she was eight. Mm -hmm. And she had had, she'd lost, she'd had one leg amputated, then the next year, the next leg amputated. And she just, she was full of cancer and she Mm -hmm. kept getting a little bit better. And then she would, and she was the sweetest, most beautiful little girl on the planet. You know, we wanted everything for her just to make her life as easy as possible when she was still around. And when we saw her with a double prosthetic, literally pushing another little girl in a wheelchair that had cerebral palsy and couldn't walk and realizing that each one of those kids was so empowered because at that time, the little girl with cancer felt like she was so strong and so brave to be able to push this wheelchair. And then the other little girl in the wheelchair knowing that she had a disability that she was going to have the rest of her life, but she was going to live a full life and that her friend who was pushing her was not. And when those things happened, I was like, whoa, this is the foundation of how we as people can rise above whatever we have, you know? I still get choked up thinking uh, about that. (laughs) It's incredible. And we, and we, we just don't have enough access to that daily, I think to, to really, you know, ground ourselves in, in that kind of thing. I mean, it's, 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 you know, in, in my, in my career, I I have the same thing. I have people who have come in with things that, and, and I, you know, maybe some of my belief system that people can sort of rise above things comes from having a back issue myself when I was mm-hmm. way too young. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, knowing other people when I was younger who had disabilities and seeing what they were doing with their lives, it was always inspiring. But I, I, I yeah, I think there's, there's, there, there needs to be more reminders. We should all be involved in something like that. I <laughs> it should know, be right? Part of our education yeah. as human beings. Yeah. 
the education of life, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you're right. Those are the things that, you know, when we get down and out, um, you know, can be very inspiring and can be really creating um, a new path for all of us of inspiration. Yeah. So. So where did you where did you end up landing on to go to acupuncture school? So because of kind of the circumstances of knowing that I wanted to go back to school, and I was thirty six or thirty seven, so mm. I wasn't young, yeah. you know. And it was a really scary move for yeah. me because again, just kind of the own my own kind of ending of one phase of my life and other doors opening. I left Colorado and came back to Minnesota. I actually applied to a couple different schools, one in Colorado and looked at a couple others. And I just decided to come back to Minnesota, Mm. at least for, well, my plan was just for the three years that I was in graduate school for acupuncture. And then I was, of course, heading back to the mountains because that's where my heart and soul and kind of passion still lie to this day. But um, I was really grateful to be back in Minnesota and 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 just reroute and ground um, with family and friends and people who really cared about me and supported me and were so excited about this new part of my life. So I came back here, went to school, and um, then ultimately ended up going back west to Oregon, not even to Colorado, but then to Oregon, yeah. and started my uh, first private practice, which took a little while. You know, did, did you work for an, somebody else to start out with, or how? Well, it's really interesting. So, how? I mean, it's not so interesting. It's just again the path that people's lives take. So, when we moved to Portland, I joined a yoga studio right away and just kind of tried to meet people and get my bearings, but knew I really needed to understand the city and 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 it was also for being an acupuncturist who didn't know anybody in Portland, Oregon. Yeah was crazy because and they... Portland was going through a change <laughs> at that point. I mean, the, you know, I, a lot of places have been going through change in the yeah. last, you know, 15, 20 years. But yeah. Portland especially, I think, started to have a moment right about then, right? It was right <clears> when <throat> we moved there where the whole city just started going crazy yeah. with people moving there and just everything just totally going crazy. It was the hot spot, the place to be. And there yeah. was also something like 2,000 licensed acupuncturists in Portland alone. So everywhere wow. I went, I was like, oh, wow, how am I going to do this? But I was – I the first patient that I ever had as an acupuncturist, again, and, and I guess it's just, again, how our paths work, a woman through the yoga studio I was going to contacted me because one of her previous students had just been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And we know that's – you know, and as medical people, we know yeah. that's very serious. Yeah. And, you know, for the – yeah, so it's a, it's an intense situation, and the woman um, was in her mid fifties, very active, and really just wanted to prolong her, you know, the best of her as long as she could, knowing that it was a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. So it was very interesting to get that call. So again, my background and then my new kind of training, it was really a, a yeah. great balance for me, and I had no idea what was really happening, but. It started out as in-home care for her, so um, and she was very mobile and verbal, and everything was really working when we first met, and yeah. just the most amazing woman, very inspirational. And unfortunately, the disease progressed very quickly, so we worked together for about seven months, and that was from kind of diagnosis time to then the end of yeah. her life. And she, a couple weeks into it, looked me straight in the eye and said, Stacy, are you in? You ready to do this? And I was said to her, well... I think if I know what you're talking about, this means am I with you through the end of your life and will I be here to support you how I can? And she said, yeah. And I said, absolutely. And it was a huge gulp. And I remember I got back in my car and I just started crying because I thought 
how how am I I'd known people I'd been to many funerals because of my past but I'd never actually been there on a regular basis yeah, it's, to am- it's amazing how quickly you can you can I mean there's this, there, there's something very specific about being a caregiver for someone during that time period too <clears throat> and I haven't had that much experience with it mm. but I did a couple couple people and when I was living in New York as a client's cousin who was you know it, it just feels so close I was probably only 35 at the time yeah she was like a 42 year old mother of two dying mm. of brain cancer yeah and you know just it, it, you know joy every time I, I came yep. and the last time I was there she just kind of she couldn't her speaking started to go yeah and she just grabbed my face at the end and like tears were just like pouring up yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I wasn't prepared for like how yeah. intense it was going to be mm-hmm. and I sort of made a point of like I would like to do more of this but mm-hmm. I feel like I need to have more experience if I'm going to work in that realm yeah. on a, on but that's the good question. How yeah. do you get more experience? I, yeah, you I, know, how do you do it unless you just do it yeah. and you just be you and you be human through it? Because yeah. I can tell you my experience was is I felt like I made mistakes and I didn't – there were many times yeah. where I felt like I fumbled. I didn't know what yeah, to do. But I, I just did my best and I can tell you that I think my best was – you know, all anybody expected. And I think all of us just being human, that's all we can do in that circumstance, you know? And you just don't know. I mean, with a terminal disease like that, I mean, every time I showed up there, which was twice a week until I think the last time I saw her was like 10 hours before she died. And it was different every time. And all the way to where it's it's interesting because I think, again, the power of mind, body, spirit, medicine, and things like acupuncture and energy work and massage. And because you're so blessed to be able to work with someone on such a deep level and feel their body and feel um, and and understand their emotions and really work with them in that capacity, which unfortunately I'm always so – I feel like the Western medical providers just – it's hard for me because I almost feel bad that they have to miss out on so much of that. And and initially that's how they – you know, many, many – Western medical doctors and providers, they want the same thing. They want to help. They want to do everything they can do. But they're so restricted on time. So as her disease started to unfold, it went from where her physical body really – so we made all those adaptations Mm -hmm. to then her verbal skills. She was completely paralyzed, so she was not able to speak anymore. And so it really ended up in the end where we only communicated by looking at each other. Yeah. And through eye contact, it's, it's, and it can be so powerful, so more, more powerful, powerful than you you have any idea that it's going to yeah. be. <laughs> and it's weird, right? How and you probably had the same experience because yeah. after not being able to talk to each other, but you yeah. can talk. And then if you really watch somebody's eyes yeah. and the color in their face and their how they structure their, you can really tell what's going on. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty intense. And then. That was my first experience with acupuncture as a provider. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right? <laughs> Unbelievable. That was a tough So time point. to start a private practice, I guess. After right. That, right. Well, after that, and then I was really fortunate to actually be an associate at an amazing integrated practice um, called Encompass Health. And it was a great, a great, because I really, my passion and interest was really was not hospice. That was not my intention. It just happened, but was orthopedics and sports medicine. And we've talked about that that was kind of been the real foundation of my deeper training and where I've really gone with acupuncture and not to leave any of the rest of it behind. And what your life was too. I mean, being being active and trying to, I mean, trying to solve some of your own, Mm -hmm. you know, orthopedic issues, my guess is. (laughs) I mean, I was sort of led the same way. A lot of what I learned was trying to, you know, self-solve. But then you would start realizing that 
so many people have these issues that yeah. that need solving. So yeah. yeah, and right, and I know you and I share that mutual goal of just trying to keep. Um, doesn't matter your level of activity, just keeping active, healthy people active and healthy yeah. through the aging process and yeah. supporting that. And and again, that really honing in and focusing on if there becomes more critical issues, what those are, dealing with those at the time. But yeah. yeah. So I moved into a practice as an apprentice and or as an associate and um, just learned a lot and had access to a lot of people. And yeah. The chiropractor who owned the the, the practice um, was an ex NFL player, so he attracted to a lot of really cool people and athletes and stuff. So it was amazing. And then after two years, I eventually moved out into my own practice there, um, and just really rocked it for a couple years. I think four years in my private practice, and then life turned upside down again. And my husband and I moved back to Minnesota, and here we sit today. Wow! So yeah. you, so you've been here for how long now? Three years. Three four years. years. Four years. Four sorry. Years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And has your has your practice changed at all being in a new location? It's a good question. I think, you know, starting over always gives us the opportunity to really assess where yeah. we we're at and who. Shift for yourself. But mm-hmm. then you're, you're shifting cultures too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And coming back to Minnesota has been really, I was really excited about the idea of coming to a city that maybe wasn't as progressive or progressed along in the the world of, of more natural, quote unquote, medicine and integration. Yeah. I mean, because to me, it's not really natural versus unnatural. It's just integrative. Um, I'm yeah. a very... You know, I, I really believe in in the quality of both and and the integration of both. I mean, again, integration is such a big, big, big principle that I stand very strong to in my practice and in my life. So moved back here, and I was really able to take I feel like what the good parts of what I had experienced in Portland, and then really start to drive that into the community here and a lot of education on just you know, what acupuncture is really good for and what it's not. And when you really need to be seeing a Western medical care provider and when you can really appropriately see me. And then mostly my goal is to always formulate really good relationships with those other providers that uh, my my clients are working with. So So speaking of which, you're my first uh, acupuncturist guest. I've worked with a lot of acupuncturists over the years myself. I I believe in it. and the reason that I say you're my first is because I'm going to have others who have completely different focuses, I'm guessing, than you eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very drawn to your kind of work, partly because of my active lifestyle, because of you know where we connect there. But I, I, I would also like to hear in a sort of general way for anyone who ha- doesn't have experience with acupuncture, mm-hmm. wants to have a better sense of how how you treat someone why it works, you know, what your experience is with maybe some of the things that you deal with orthopedically. Mm-hmm. I think that could be super helpful. So jump in wherever you think yeah. <laughs> that, that line of questions. I think how we started in the beginning was, is, you know, I briefly mentioned that sometimes it can be hard when you, you feel like you're kind of at the end of the line. You know, I've seen everybody else and yeah. now I'm here. Yeah, yeah. And not that by <clears throat> any means that's how acupuncture always works. But again, we're used to the Western medical paradigm and this is how we process through things. You know, we have a problem. It's either you know, there's a diagnosis, it's assessed, it's evaluated, we're either given a prescription, surgery, whatever it may be, right? And so obviously, now that we have these other choices to move into, like acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, you know, all these things, we've got options. So a lot of times people come to me, 
new to acupuncture, I would say mostly. So I really feel the first and foremost important part of my job is to educate people exactly on what you're saying. How does acupuncture work? Why does it work? And what can it do for their immediate needs? And my general kind of what I would say about it is is that acupuncture is a whole body medicine. So a lot of times people come to see me because let's just take shoulder pain for an example. So they come with me to shoulder pain, but then when I have a new patient, I do a full health history and intake. I do some orthopedic muscle testing and things like that to really determine, you know, structurally what's going on. So that first whole beginning of, of time, a whole hour of time is really spent on me getting a deeper understanding of internally what's going on. That's again, because a lot of times pain obviously can be from a direct injury, blunt trauma, car accident, a a cycling accident, whatever. Yeah. Overwork, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, as the story starts to unfold, we can obviously see that none of us are immune or, um, we're just not blessed just to have one thing going on. Right. People aren't sleeping. They have high anxiety levels. Their digestive system is off and all these things. And this is where acupuncture and then I feel like with my orthopedic background can be such an incredible match together to really address what that is. Yeah. So I would, you know, do a full health history intake, all that kind of stuff and give t- people time to talk. So they really do feel understood. So again, there's another huge important part of the space that we hold for people is the relationship. And if anybody ever told me that as an acupuncturist, I shouldn't take the time or I'm too personal or I include too much of myself, I would say then I don't want to be one because being me and sharing my story and not that that's more important than theirs. It's not. But where we're like-minded, where we're similar is so important yeah. to me in formulating that relationship and just giving people time to be heard. Yeah. So I'd say definitely make sure that happens. And then as people start to work into an acupuncture treatment, I do explain what acupuncture is and the basis of it. The basis of acupuncture is two principles, the five elements – which is fire, earth, water, wood, and metal. Mm -hmm. And those are very foreign to most people. They don't understand what they are. We're not going to go into all those. And then yin and yang, which a lot of people say yang, yang. It doesn't matter. They're the same thing. But it's the white fish with the black eye, the black fish with the white eye. They're polar opposites. They can't exist without each other. White turns to black. Black turns to white. And the difference being is, is that One's daytime, one's nighttime, one's hot, one's cold. So it's just the polar opposites that work together within the body and then also with exposure from the outside environment that create who we are. And so if one of them or the other is out of balance, then we got to figure that out and get things rocking again, get them more into balance. Because again, if we find out what those are on a really deep root level, we're going to understand the branch problems. We're going to understand why they're not sleeping, why they're not, their digestion is off, why they have headaches and why their shoulder hurts outside of maybe a car accident. And I I feel like when I get into the health dialogue with people, I keep getting drawn back to sort of what is our nature, you Mm -hmm. know, so, so the... These these elements, this yep. this this, this the, the, it really it's it's about what what is that what is our environment, mm-hmm. both internally you know externally as 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 part of this as well, and how do we how do we create a, a balance in that environment when something is off? Yeah, and I agree with that a hundred percent. I think um, and there was a statistic that I just read, and now of course I'm I'm not going to quote anything because now I'm I read so much that, but it was a stat that was basically talking exactly about our internal environment and how so much of us, like seventy percent of our natural biorhythms, 
even though we're completely controlled in today's world by, you know, temperature, because we're never that cold or that hot, because mm-hmm. we're always either using air conditioning or heat. Right. So we're we're very moderate and light. You know, we're never in total darkness and all these things. So, yeah, yeah. but that seventy percent, even after the evolution of how far away we are from being in our natural environment all the time, it's still seventy percent of our body that follows those natural biorhythms. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing a bad job of explaining it, but no, that makes sense. Basically, what I'm saying is is that. There's no denying that our bodies still follow exactly what's going on outside. Yeah. So people don't understand that from fall to winter to spring to summer, their bodies are going to be mimicking what's going on outside yeah. and behave different ways. And we need to know what those are to then make ourselves aware on what our needs are. Yeah. On not only because even within 24 hours, we cycle through all four of the all five of the elements. Yeah. And every our bodies are always following it. Yeah. So I'm huge. If I could just I know, I, and I think talk we, about that forever. We, we we've we've gotten to a point in the way that we think about our uh, management of our of our physical bodies, our you know our, ourselves as a whole, even in that it's and that it's driven somehow by this cognition or by this mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. I, and and it's and it's so much more complicated than that from a cellular level. Absolutely. You know, the the energetics of the body, the biorhythms of the of the planet, they're all having an influence on us and yet we're in complete denial of it, <laughs> especially at this point in time. Right. And <laughs> so, it's not even it's denial as well as just lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And right? and I and I think people come to us to, to be educated on some level, and that's part of the reason why we do spend so much time with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why it's. I was going to be an educator. I think that's why I mm-hmm. <laughs> ended up kind of getting back into that, and that's why I have a podcast now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's awesome. And I it's think a great that's one of, yeah, the one of the most amazing parts. It's a part of my job that I'm probably the most passionate about is coming up with very tangible, realistic, you know, um, examples of how the modern world works to actually what's going on on an energetic level inside the body, Yeah, you know? So you want to know one of my favorite analogies for yeah. acupuncture? This is what I tell all my patients. So if any of my patients are listening, this will be very familiar. Um, so I always use, so in Minneapolis, we know that there's a very, in every big city, you know, tons of different freeways that intertwine and take you everywhere you want to go. Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, we look at these pathways in the bodies, these channels. There's 14 main ones that mm-hmm. travel from head to toe, toe to head. They go everywhere. And they're basically the delivery system of energy, which in Chinese medicine we call qi, spelled yeah. Q-I, vital energy, and blood. And for us to be healthy, walk, talk, move, nourish our brain, spleen, stomach, liver, you know, for us to be able to digest food – all those pathways bring that nourishment to those areas mm-hmm. and for them to work. So the analogy goes, think of those pathways like the freeway system in any city. You're trying to get to work, driving down the road, everything's fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's a car accident on Highway 100, we'll just say in Minnesota, mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. And then what happens is, is everything stops flowing. Traffic, everything backs up, and then it backs up on 169, 394, all those things. You have a big, huge mess. Yeah, yeah. Body functions the same way. Yeah. So whether it's blunt trauma, it's it's repetitive stress, it's stress itself, it's poor diet, it's going to develop those blockages within the body. And it's not going to bring the nourishment that we need to be well. Yeah. And so what acupuncture does is actually along each one of those channels is a whole combination of acupuncture points, quote unquote, is mm-hmm. what we would say. And as practitioners that go to school from anywhere to three to five years, depending on your education, plus having a bachelor of science previously, 
we understand those point combinations and what we need to do to unblock those areas and create that flow again. Yeah. And so that's why I think that acupuncture can be so impactful in ways people don't know how to really describe, yeah. but they know something's happening. And that's where I think the power of the medicine really is so unique compared to any other form of medicine. Yeah. So. And and I think we're, we we become so used to the powerful drugs. I mean mm-hmm. that we it's 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 a little bit hard for us because the 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 power of those drugs can take us from you know 0 to 80 in in a few minutes. And so for us the change might be 10%. You know. There's actually have you ever read uh, or heard of Dan Harris's book the 10 uh, I think it's called Ten Percent Happier or something like that. I don't or, know. Um, but it, it was he was a news anchor who had an on-air panic attack. Okay. Oh wow. Was, had spent some time over in Afghanistan after nine eleven. Oh yes. And ended up coming back, um, realizing he had to change his lifestyle a little bit. Um, some things that happened, but really he was kind of suffering from a, a type of PTSD. PTSD which, yeah. you know, and and he was started realizing that. Meditation, just as that simple thing that he was doing, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day, really actually made him feel about 10% happier. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like 10% sounds like not very much to us culturally. I think we're just, we're always, you know, we always want the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think, you know, that on an ongoing basis, there's a, there's a, there's a cumulative effect of that, that that's sort of ongoing that builds and, you know, it really does change, you know, people's lifestyles in a huge way. And I, that's, I mean, that's what I've experienced in my work too. And helping people see what that 10% difference, you know, looks like and feels like sometimes from the, from the onset so that they're kind of preparing for, mm-hmm. you know, the things to pay attention to right away might be your sleep, your digestion, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of base things. Yeah. Well, that was my experience personally. You know, again, I went into acupuncture thinking I need treatment for knee pain. And then I my anxiety changed. And I yeah. had chronic, like, the worst allergies to the environment my whole entire life. I'd been on every single medication, every shot. I'd spent every spring of my life sick and exhausted and fatigued and miserable. And as my journey unfolded and when I really committed to my health and well-being and my journey on healing my body within, I I don't have allergies. Yeah. I have some sensitivity. I still get sneezy. I still get itchy. I mean, I'd be crazy to say I'm cured 100%. Right. But I don't have chronic allergies. They are gone. And that was never going to happen without this yeah. type of medicine and many other things, you know, that, you know, having a team of people like yourself and people who can help me understand nutrition and what my body needs and, yeah. you know, an amazing chiropractor and things, just having a team of people that can really help me understand what my needs are at any given time yeah. has given me the gift of being more well, not perfectly well, yeah. because there's a lot of things in this body that are not perfectly well. We're, I'd be we're, lying we're never to you. Going to be perfect. But I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, there's uh, people can live t- to be a hundred years old and, you know, spend 50 of those years not very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the body can kind of keep going. That doesn't mean that we're, you know, living optimally. And I, I think that's yeah. the, it's, it's the, that day-to-day sense of, of well-being is mm-hmm. what I think people like you and I can have a little bit more influence on because we're there to really spend time with them through the beginning part of the process. I, my feeling is that I'm, I'm very I, I, I can be a, a huge benefit to somebody early on when they're struggling with something and going through a change, whatever it is, um, or dealing with a chronic issue. And once they start to become more well, 
I might not be as as necessary, mm-hmm. you know, a, as often, but I can still be a, a touchstone for people. And I think that's where we also become very, you know, sort of important for people. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different reasons, you know, places people get to. But, you know, the beauty of it all, too, is, is that when you do see that 10 percent, and I really appreciate that you said that, because, again, I have to remind myself of the same things. I want everything for every person that comes to see me. I want to fix it. Yeah. I want it to get better. Right. And I have to remember that, too, that that sustainable, those small incremental changes that yeah. sustain over long periods of time are what rebuild that foundation yeah. that gives us that really solid foundation to build our lives on, you yeah. know? So that 10%, yeah, I agree with you because we're looking for, you know, resolve. We want it to be gone. But that 10% just gives us that next step to take yeah. to create more, you know, of a foundation. And, and not only that, okay. but I think the person seeking care, you know, once they start to see what kind of change can happen, Partly from the treatment, but also the 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 awareness mm-hmm. shift that happens for them, they start to realize that they have a role in this. You know, mm-hmm. as as you're sort of saying earlier, diet makes a uh, has an impact on these yep. on these pathways. Yep. So now now I can I have something personally that I can do. So you can empower somebody to go through and start doing more of this work on their own too. Right. I think yeah, I think you're right on that one for sure. The active self healing component is just so critical for. Yeah anybody's overall well-being. And I know that for myself. I mean, until I stopped going to see so many people to fix me and started to realize that I could I could give myself the opportunity to intake information and receive care and treatment from providers I was seeing, that was great. Yeah. But they couldn't fix me. I had to decide what I was going to do with the chronic pain that I live with yeah. and the chronic, you know, anxiety and things like that. How yeah. was I going to take control of that and live with it and maximize my life and then use those people as a part of my, you know, whole healing process? Yeah. And sometimes what I'll do with people in the beginning is say, you know, you need to figure out a, a and if this is not covered by insurance, mm-hmm. most of the time it's not. But right. it's getting it's getting better, especially with the use of things like HSAs and flex spending. But you know, figure out a budget for it and re- a realistic budget. And sometimes I'll say budget more at the at the front end of it because we really want to see a symptomatic change. You need to see that there's a, a some success happening to really understand how this is going to work for you and how to use someone like you know <laughs> me or you mm-hmm. and then and then you know how much time that's going to take because it does t- take time after work or Absolutely. before work or cutting out in the middle of the day to come come see us and then you know start to look at that over the course of time once once they kind of have a resolve of symptoms if there's still things that they're working on like just sort of managing anxiety mm-hmm. it might be one of those things that you know they can then manage once a month with a with a treatment and and sort of have that check in with you and and maybe somebody else you know having a team around them absolutely yeah i think that's important for every component of it because people have to feel good about money coming out of their pocket, time being spent. I mean, there are very few of us in today's world who just have extra money to throw around for no reason. So again, that investment of of time and money is so critical for the healing process to unfold. We all have to feel good about it. Our patients do. As providers, we need to be really responsible for that as far as what kind of care can we give people? And if it's not working with us, then we've got to have the right team of people around us to be able to refer out. And also, I think one of the things that I've realized 
another big part of my practice is women's health, and it's really working with the aging process with women. So working with women more into perimenopause and menopause. And um, my me being that age myself, I do, again, understand kind of the process of what starts to unfold. And, you know, so many people have become so skeptical of the system and that Western medicine is somehow broken and that no one has time for them. And all people want to do is throw them drugs. And again, I tend to get people like that into my practice because they have had a bad situation or circumstance that's really turned them off to whatever. And so I try to really do a full circle and re-educate people on the absolute importance of preventative care in Western medicine, especially for women going through major physical changes and who their and who their resources are yep. and, yep. and and building like like you and I like to do like building our local resource network mm-hmm. we have trusted resources you know as you told me earlier you had a horrible experience with I somebody did. and and it's easy to like then write off okay well this this is this is the system well that's not yep. the system it's that's one not. that's that's an individual yep um and but, that can happen yeah. anywhere yeah. and that was my experience and and again i get women who have not had mammograms for six years because they had a horrible experience and don't want to go. And I absolutely will not move forward and provide care because my personal belief is is that for women to understand their health and their well-being and to stay healthy and really lower their risks of something really serious happening to them, diagnostics have to be involved. Yeah. And it's so key and so important. And so I can be there to support what their decisions are if they're faced with a tough decision, but I cannot support, you know, people not doing what they need to do as far as taking care of themselves and then really, you know, following through with what our responsibilities are to make sure that we are conscious and aware of what the any given, you know, part of our life or our well-being is at. Yeah. So this just reminded me of something. I, I've, I've had this conversation before. Uh, Dr. Aaron Babb, who I just did a podcast with mm-hmm. a few weeks ago out in California, he, uh, he and I were working together. <clears throat> and one of the things that when he was working with uh, myself and another chiropractor, he had asked her at one point, can I look at, can I look at, your, um, at your course curriculum? I don't know anything about chiropractic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to sort of hear – I, you know, people might hear us have this conversation and think, oh, they sound like they, they know a lot, but what is their, what is their training? Mm, so mm-hmm. t- tell us, tell us a little bit about acupuncture school, like what, how long it was, what your course curriculum is, that kind of thing. Can you, I, I didn't prepare you for this. Sir. No, that's <laughs> you... great. I think that's a really good question and a really <laughs> fair question. So I, I received a bachelor of science as my undergraduate degree. So mm-hmm. I had, had a lot, all and more of the yeah. prerequisites that you would need to be able to all the science stuff that then you go. But when you start acupuncture school, and, and I really appreciate this question because and, – and again, it's just to delineate the difference of, of what it's, – it's a three- to four-year program, sometimes five years depending – sometimes six years because you can actually go through all the way through your doctorate. Yeah. So my program, I pushed everything through. I did a master's degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine. Okay. So it's a master's degree. I did mine in three years. I just went straight through, maxed out, you know, just did my coursework kind of to the maximum every yep. quarter. But you basically start out in the first whole year of acupuncture school is about theory. 
So there is a text that's been translated into English called the Neijing, which is just the Bible of Chinese medicine. Yeah. It's all the theory. It's it's how, again, our inner body maps outer terrain. Our inner terrain works with nature, you know, all that stuff, yin and yang, five elements. And then basically understanding our diagnostic skills, which are really honed in for, I mean, I think I will spend the rest of my life trying to learn how to read things like um, – how your pulse, we do pulse diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. So how your pulse pre- rep- presents itself on each treatment really represents what's going on internally. And what, and what are those pulses? So there's pairs. There's basically, there's six different pulses. And so when you work with an acupuncturist, a lot of people don't know what we're doing. And, yeah. you know, hopefully your acupuncturist explains to you what you're doing because I yeah. think it's very important. But we're basically, there's six different um and it's right we, – we, we feel for your pulse right at your wrist yeah. on the part of your wrist. And we're basically looking for organ patterns. So there's the lung and large intestine is one pulse point, mm-hmm. the spleen and stomach, the kidney on one side, and then the kidney the kidney yin, the kidney yang on yeah. the other side. And then your liver and your gallbladder and your heart and small intestine. And so what we're looking for is not so much the rate. I mean we're not counting beats per minute, but we're like, is it rapid? Is it moderate? Is it slow? Right. And then we have different levels. There's three levels, so the upper level, the middle level, and the deeper level. So what we're looking for is inconsistencies. Yeah. Is there one of them that feels really – we use different really crazy words like – Tight, wiry, slippery, buttery. Um, It's just this whole thing that starts to really present itself. And if you learn that, you're going to start to be able to really know what's going on internally with the different organ patterns within the body, which is obviously very critical to someone's health. Um, and then we start to formulate a, a, a treatment based upon our findings. Based we also on your intake, what you what you feel yep, in their body. Yep. So basically, and then we look at someone's tongue. We have them mm-hmm. stick out their tongue. So again, there's the tongue is just the mapway to the internal body. Yep. So we look at the coat, we look at the shape, we look at the color, and that just creates a whole story within what's itself. A, what's, a, what's a good tongue look like? A good tongue is very. Um, it does not. So a lot of Western people have teeth marks. Their tongues are actually swollen. So they. Have teeth marks oh. on the outer parts of their tongue, and some are really severe, some are not. That means one thing. But a nice tongue is just a moderately – the tongue just fits really nicely in the mouth. There is – it's not a thick, greasy coat, but it's just kind of a nice, like, coat that doesn't have a real white or real yellow color to it, but mm-hmm. it's kind of between that. Yep. The body of the tongue is very supple-looking, so it's not purple – but it's not red. Mm-hmm. It's not, and then we look for other things like does the tongue look dry? So a moist tongue is health. That's well being. Yeah. It means yeah. your body internally is very is moisturized. And then really nuances are if the tongue is shaking when you stick out the tongue. That's mm. another really big indicator on one. what is going on inside the body. And again, we could have a whole show on just what that means when <laughs> that's happening on the tongue. Um, but so a real nice tongue just looks very moderate. There's no significant findings. It's it's a really neutral color. And um, yeah, that's it. And then oh, the whole face constitution as well. So we're really looking at people from the second they walk in the door. Yeah. What's their, what's the color of their face? You know, what's the, what's the, are they pale? Do they have big bags under their eyes? Are they gray? Are, you know, what's their walk like? Are they yeah. walking with their shoulders slumped down and yeah. their heads slumped yeah. down? Are they buzzing in there like a bee 90 miles a minute and their voice is really loud and really fast? That, all, those all mean things yeah. on what, what's going on inside your body. So it's, it's a, um, a very refined intake and it's a very 
based upon a lot of training. You know, again, we don't go to school for nine months. We are in school full time. We do um, internships at hospitals, at integrated hospitals, at rehabilitation centers, at the Salvation Army, at centers for people with HIV and AIDS. I mean, we really go through. Um, we have a clinic that we first start to actually where we have supervisors and people. Mm-hmm. We work with our supervisor, but we actually start seeing patients yeah. about a year and a half into our program. And then we refer to our supervisors about what we should be doing and what herbs we want to use. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how. And then by the time you you get to your very end of your whatever it is, three years, four years, then you have to study for – you have five exams. You have five national board exams. You have to pass all of those that then gives you the ability to apply through And I, I know how the stressful board of those can be because I, I've treated a lot of uh, yeah. acupuncture students yeah. over the years. Yeah, they're not easy. <laughs> uh, doing some work out at Northwestern, I – started connecting to a lot of people from there yeah. and they they came in for a lot of craniosacral yeah. work during exactly. those time periods. So, I yeah. wish I would have known you then. I know. <laughs> I could have used a lot of work myself. Yeah, we called that student syndrome, yeah. you know. So we are all had acupuncture needles hanging out of our heads and we're on specific herbal formulas trying <laughs> yeah. to treat ourselves and nothing was going to help us right, at that point. Right. But getting through it and then uh, figuring out to, to come to a more balanced place. So yeah. it's not an easy – it's not easy schooling because you really – you know, especially me. Well, not especially me. It's hard for everybody. But coming from a really strong Western medical background and rehabilitation and having to kind of pull my brain back from that and realize that that was going to have its place in the integration of the two for me. But for a while, I really just had to put myself in a place of opening my mind, my body and my spirit to what was possible with yeah. this medicine. So yeah. it was a, it was a huge transition for me personally as well. Yeah. Um, so what, where, where is your practice going at this point? I have some really exciting things. You know, I feel very blessed. I've got a full private practice that, um, you know, I am moving forward into some really big decisions myself, whether my practice is going to include bringing, um, some people on to help me, um, really, you know, expand um, for my bigger vision. I'm currently doing a, a really exciting online master's program um, for a year called the Wellness. It's a wellness leadership program. Yeah. So I'm really interested in expanding um, and delivering the same quality care that I have been, but really expanding into more leadership. Yeah. And obviously throughout this time that we've been talking, the key word for me is always integration. Yeah. So I feel like because of my past and what I've done, I have this very strong desire to start moving into more of a leadership role and emphasizing integration and making sure that as we move forward with such a complicating system that we are giving our community, our tribe, the people we care about and and the population as a whole, some really amazing opportunities to raise our profession into an equal place because there's not really shouldn't be one or the other. But um, just working into more leadership and integration between Eastern and Western medicine. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Do you um, do you envision doing something beyond your 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 local uh, practice? Your, the people you treat here, your little 
Minneapolis tribe. Yeah. Uh, are, are you are you starting to think a little bigger than that? I am. You know, I do with this leadership program that I'm doing. I feel like the sky's the limit, and kind of being you know a serial entrepreneur as I am, and a kind of a self starter in a lot of things. Just I'm a really grassroots thinker. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a, a big foundation of who I am. That I feel like the sky's the limit. I you know I've I've done some international retreats um, that I I have kind of taken a little hiatus from because I do miss that some real focused wonderful wild, wonderful women's retreats and seminars doing some um, healing in, in in Central and South America, doing things like high adventure, some surf camps, and then some real wellness retreats doing yoga and meditation and things like that. So that's something I've been I've done quite a bit in the past. Do you, do you do acupuncture with these kinds of retreats? I do. Yeah. I do. And what I, I kind of developed was this special little Stacy version of because when I'm with someone in say Costa Rica and yeah. I'm I'm with them for a week I I don't have the ability to treat them for ongoing treatment plans so I devised this very um energetically based treatment that I use essential oils and then also reading the chakras with and that's again goes into a whole nother side right. of Stacy and who I am as an yeah. acupuncturist but I'm um, really doing some really um amazing kind of searching through the different parts of the body with the people and guiding through what and, is and possible. And you have them for a limited time so it's One like time. where are you at yeah. right now yeah. coming to me at this retreat? Yeah. Let's 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 you know figure out what we can do to work on yeah. this thing where you're yeah. at right now. And I do use therapeutic grade essential oils in every one of my treatments. Yeah. So and that literally can change somebody's body at the snap of a finger. Yeah. So combining acupuncture and essential oils and some guided imagery um, for just one treatment in itself can be ridiculously powerful. Yeah, so sure. that's that's the kind of stuff I facilitate on on retreats just because I don't have any more time than that. So yeah. I see that happening. I, I see um, just continuing to deepen my connection to the people who are like-minded and, you know, people like me out there because I know I've felt on my own island alone in my journey so yeah. many different times. and In our own practices. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's, yep. it's, it's important to, to, you know, branch out from that. And I'm, I'm hoping this podcast for, can be like that for a lot of people, yeah. that they, they can sort of see, oh, I, I know exactly what this, this looks like yeah. in my practice if, if, if they are a health practitioner as well. Yeah. So we'll keep you posted. I also have some other things that could, you know, again, really give me the opportunity to work into a pretty amazing leadership role. And um, maybe that can be our next podcast. I'll Sounds let you know great. how that goes. Thanks so much for coming and taking the time to do this with me. And um, I th- we'll, we'll come up with some, maybe, maybe we'll do one on the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> a whole podcast on the tongue. <laughs> I would love it. Very interesting. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. Stacy Deegan, folks. Great to get her story and her insights. I love the idea that she shares that wellness is a state of mind. Knowing her background better now from this conversation, I feel like I understand how this idea has been solidified for her. On some level, we're all going through some kind of struggle. Sure, some struggles may seem more challenging than others, but that is completely dependent on your perspective. And Stacy gets this in a profound way from her experience. Changing our conscious point of view, the habitual ways of thinking, of being, The day-to-day conscious effort is a practice that requires some dedication. But the payoff for this dedication is your life's potential and its direct impact on everyone in your orbit. If you're struggling to find this state of mind, acupuncture might be something to try. Remember, we don't have to struggle alone. There are many resources like acupuncturists who can help by providing treatment and resource. 
Acupuncture is also now covered by some forms of insurance. And if not, it's still relatively inexpensive, especially with centers that specialize in community acupuncture, which is usually done in a reclining chair in a shared space with others getting treated. The reason I use acupuncture is because I feel it helps balance and restore my energy. I tend to swing between frenetic and completely exhausted depending on what's happening in my life at at the time. As a husband, father of two, a son, and with my many pursuits, including podcast host. It can serve as a general tune-up for anyone, but it can also address more complicated physical, emotional, and energetic challenges as well. It is one of the safest treatments on the planet with little or no side effects. If you have an acupuncture experience you'd like to share that you think might help someone get the nudge to try it, I'd love to hear from you, and I will share it with our listeners. My email again is jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. As always, be kind to yourself, be good to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.